0: Turn to Matthew 25, after giving us some wonderful truths about the future, we've gone through over the last uh, uh, seven weeks the sort of the outline, the timeline of how things are going to occur. At the end of time, Jesus now takes some time to tell us the story. A couple of stories, actually, that we'll look at over the next uh, two weeks uh, to explain what he has been teaching us. And the story we're going to read is a very simple story. Ten young ladies on their way to a wedding. Ten, by the way, is a very significant, among, uh, ten is a significant number among the Jews. Uh, for example, it takes ten Jewish men to form a congregation in a synagogue um, in a marriage procession, 10 lamps were the normal uh, number that you would find, and here you've got 10 virgins who go out to wait for the bridegroom to appear, and they all have lamps, and they all have oil. Let's stand together in honor and reverence of the reading of the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God, and let's see the rest of this story kingdom of heaven, verse 1, shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. All those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Say, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came and also said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Father, blessed are our understanding, the reading, the hearing, and the interpretation of your word. May we gain from this uh, the uh, information that we need, the encouragement we need to meet the challenges of our day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody's got lamps. Everybody's got oil. And as the story progresses, you begin to see that these virgins are different from one another. Different in the fact that five of them have made preparation to meet the bridegroom. They have plenty of oil in their lamps, so whether he comes early or whether he comes late, it doesn't matter because they're ready. But five of them did not properly prepare. They had oil in their lamp, but that was about it. They had a lamp, they had had some oil in it, that was it. And so if the bridegroom was delayed in coming, which he is, they would not be able to keep their lamps lit into the time of meeting the bridegroom. Now, this parable is not based on a fairy tale. Even today, if you go to Israel, middle-class families celebrate weddings in much the same way that they were celebrated 2,000 years ago. J. Alexander Finley writes about a trip that he took to Israel and actually came upon one of these wedding feasts. Listen to what he says. When we were approaching the gates of a town, I caught sight of 10 maidens, gaily clad, and playing some kind of musical instruments as they danced along the road in front of our car. When I asked what they were doing, my guide told me that they were going to keep the bride company until the bridegroom arrived. I asked him if there was any chance of seeing the wedding. He shook his head saying, in effect, could be tonight, could be tomorrow night, could be a month from now. Nobody ever knows for certain. Then he went on to explain that one of the great things in Israel was to catch the bridal party napping. So that's what the groom's trying to do. He tries to catch them when they're not prepared. So the bridegroom comes unexpectedly, and sometimes he actually comes in the middle of the night. Jewish wedding feast is much different than what we would normally see then in America. In a Jewish wedding, there are three stages to the wedding. Stage one uh, is where the parents of the bride agree to the marriage of their daughter to uh, this young man and a dowry is established. In stage two, the bridegroom, who then is accompanied by his friends, would go to the home of the bride and make his claim on her. And that procession, which was part of uh, the ceremony, usually, but not always, takes place in the middle of the night at a time when nobody's expecting it. But the bride is supposed to be prepared at any minute. She's supposed to be prepared for his coming. She then joins the procession and all the people with her, and they return to the bridegroom's home. In the third stage, there's a huge party. That's the only part that's similar to our weddings. It it would be uh, like our reception. Uh, here in America. The only difference is this party normally lasts at least a week. So the bride's parent, if you recall, is responsible for the reception, as I remember, uh, when Danielle got married. And I was ready for them people to go home Uh, in about an hour or so. If I'd have had to entertain them for a week, I'd have not been a happy camper. But anyway, uh, at the end of the week, the couple would participate. uh, So they participate in this week-long feast, uh, reception. Then they go home, set up house. So what you need to see here is that Jesus is using common knowledge again to illustrate a truth about his coming. Ten bridesmaids unmarried um, friends of the bride or groom, and they are awaiting the procession so they could join the party. And these bridegrooms or these bridesmaids and friends brought with them lamps. I should have brought mine in here today to to show you. I have one uh, from the first century. It's not what you would expect. It's a very small uh, thing. And uh, there's a little jar that goes with it. And I have one from the first century that they would have used. The difference in the ones that they would have used here in this story and and the one that I have is that uh, they had theirs probably mounted on a pole so they could hold them up high and give light uh, all around in the procession. So in a sense, the lamp was your ticket to the party. Uh, In Jesus' story, you've got five wise virgins, you've got five foolish virgins, and the wise virgins brought enough oil to light their lamp. During the procession, the others didn't take any oil with them. All 10 of them, and here's the thing you need to remember, all 10 of them look exactly alike on the outside. And they've all come to the home where the procession is supposed to be. So they're all at the starting point. They all look alike. They all have lamps. They all have some oil. But the parade leading from the house of the bride to the groom takes longer than expected. Jesus says they all fall asleep during this time, during the waiting time. And suddenly there's this shout, Hey, the bridegroom's coming, go ye out to meet him. And excitement builds, and it is then that the five foolish virgins realize that they don't have enough oil. And so they say, Will you share some of your oil with us? We don't have enough. And the wise girl said, Hey, we brought just enough for us, we don't have any extra. We don't have any to give you, so uh, you're going to have to go off and search for some. They didn't have all-night Walmarts or anything like that uh, that they could go to. So these five foolish virgins go off, and they're searching for somebody to sell them some oil. While they're gone, the bridegroom shows up, the party gets started, and in order to keep out the riffraff, the door is shut and is locked. When the five foolish girls get back, they can't get in. There is no visible difference between the ten virgins. There is no external distinction. All ten were virgins. All ten carried lamps. All ten went out to meet the bridegroom. All ten waited for his coming. And yet there is a very vital difference between the foolish virgins and the wise ones. Jesus tells the story to illustrate the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish and teach us some truths about the end times. I think the main point of the story then, because in every parable, there's one main point. What is the main point of this story? The main point of this story is this. Not everybody who thinks they're going to get into the kingdom of God is going to get in. Not everybody who thinks they're ready for Jesus to come back is really ready. These ten virgins, I think, represent Christianity today. Among the untold millions of church members and and people who think that they're religious... In any congregation, in any church in America today, there are those who profess Christ, but they don't possess Christ. There's a big difference in being a professor and being a possessor. Like these 10 virgins, you walk into most churches and you won't see much difference in the people. It'll be impossible for you or me to walk into a place and distinguish the real possessors of Christianity, those who are truly saved and those who are fake. I dare say that in every church in America, there are men and women, boys and girls who are faithful in carrying out the material business of the church, who are faithful in carrying out the social affairs of the church, but they are sorely lacking in the spiritual things. And what it was that eventually set apart these foolish virgins from the wise virgins was one word, preparation. The wise virgins were prepared, the foolish virgins were not. They took lamps, they just didn't take enough oil to replenish the lamp. The wise virgins took lamps and then they carried an extra supply of oil. What does oil represent in the scripture? Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So when you see this, that's what you're reading. Oil is a type. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So what was necessary for the lamps of the virgins? Possession of oil, right? Well, it would be the same for you and me, possession of the Holy Spirit. It is divinely a necessity for us if you're going to enter the place that Jesus is going to prepare for you. Lack of the oil of the Spirit is the fatal flaw in the lamp of many people who profess to be Christians today. They claim to live it, but they have no life of God in their soul. They make a profession of faith. They join a church. But they don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And so they shine for a little while. But sooner or later, the burden of living what seems to be a Christian life becomes too great and they give up. In other words, they professed to have the Spirit, but they never truly possessed it. Apart from the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, it is impossible to even become a Christian. The only way that you and I ever got saved is because the Holy Spirit of God drew us to Christ, And apart from the Holy Spirit, listen, it is utterly impossible to live a Christian life. Let me give you just a couple of statements then out of this story that I pray will encourage you today and help you determine whether you're a professor or you're a possessor. Whether you're ready for the coming of Christ or you're not ready. Here's the first thing. We've said this every week. It is impractical to try and predict the time of Jesus' return. Uh, I'm not gonna spend very much time here, we, we know that. If the foolish virgins had known, if they had known exactly what time the bridegroom was coming, what would they have done? They'd have made sure they had enough oil, right? They would have been able to calculate how long it would take to go find more oil and get back and be there in time. But they didn't have any idea when he was going to come. They simply knew he's coming soon. That's all they knew. They knew there was nothing that would prevent him from showing up at any time. But they assumed they had plenty of time. Jesus is coming soon all you and I know. I don't know the date. I don't know the time. You don't either. All I know is be prepared. Here's the second thing. My readiness for the return of Jesus is dependent upon my personal faith in Christ, not somebody else's. My readiness for the coming of Christ is determined by my own personal Dependence on Christ, my faith, not somebody else's. Well, what are you talking about? What is the gospel? The gospel, according to the scripture, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross on behalf of all of us who are sinners in order to pay the penalty of the sin that we rightfully ought to have to pay ourselves. We owe a debt to God because of our sin and it's a debt that we're unable to pay and so Jesus Christ came to this earth he died on the cross to pay the penalty that I deserved and that I should have paid and every person in here has to come to a place and a point in their life when they admit that they are sinners and they are in need of a savior and they put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation and they don't trust themselves That is totally and completely a personal transaction. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody can do it for me. According to the parable, when Jesus returns and all of us are judged, there are going to be people who expect to get in, but they won't. See that's what happened. These five foolish virgins go off, and they had their lamp and they had their light, but it was about to go out, or it did go out. They needed more oil, and they go get it, and they come back and say, "Okay, now let me in." And the and and the person in charge of opening the door said, "No." The Lord looks at them and says, "I didn't. I don't know you. You weren't ready. You weren't prepared." There are a lot of people in church today who seem to be counting on faith by association. Maybe they had a grandparent who was a Christian, or maybe their their parents were Christians, or a spouse, or a child, or a friend. Maybe they go to church on a semi-regular basis. But from all appearances, if you saw them, you would say, they look just like the rest of the bridesmaids. They look just like everybody else, but they have never come face to face with their own sinfulness. They've never come face to face with the fact that they individually have to place their faith in Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can do anything about the debt that you and I owe. I can't transfer my salvation to you. I can't come out there this morning and unscrew your head and pour in the Holy Spirit into your life. I can't take the Holy Spirit out of my life and implant him into your life. You have to do that. You have to get the Holy Spirit from the very same place that I got it, the throne of grace. You have to get it through repentance of sin and the invitation of Christ into your life. And so the wise virgins could not give their oil to the foolish virgins because the work of the Holy Spirit is individual, it is non-transferable. They had to have it themselves. I couldn't share it, give them mine. This parable teaches us, if anything, that I have to be ready. I personally have to be ready for the coming of Christ. And the only way to do that is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The third thing that this parable teaches us is don't wait. (laughs) That's pretty simple, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious here. When the foolish virgins returned from getting more oil, they wanted to get into the feast, the bridegroom said, what? I don't know you. I don't know you. They dressed like bridesmaids. They had acted like bridesmaids, and now the pretense is over, and their sinful, foolish character is now exposed. My friend, it is going to be a moment of sheer terror when unbelievers face a holy God and finally realize with absolute certainty that they are eternally lost they'll be like people who are standing in neck high water outside Noah's ark they didn't think it was going to rain either but it did it'll be too late Is there anything in your life this morning? Is there anything in your life this morning that you would be embarrassed about or ashamed of if Jesus came back right now? Jonathan Edwards, you've heard of him, great preacher, New England preacher, believed in that principle so much that. And he taught this parable and believed this parable so strongly that he was compelled to write down uh, his feelings in the form of a resolution. Listen to what he wrote. Resolved, to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved, never to do anything out of revenge resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. When the bridegroom comes, will he find you to be a stranger or friend? Will he find you in the group of the wise virgins or the foolish virgins? Listen, if if, if you're putting off salvation, and and unfortunately, in the church today, uh, we have decided that the only people who need to get saved are young people. Well, if the statistics tell us anything, (laughs) uh, they tell us that there are more Of us older folks who need to get saved than there are young people. There are a lot of people today who claim to be possessors of something that they never possessed. Oh, they made a profession of faith. Oh, they joined a church. Oh, they got baptized. But through the years, their life has not proven to be fruitful, they've not borne any fruit. And so if you're putting off getting saved, you know, we we think of teenagers or young adults as saying, Well, I got plenty of time. (laughs) I look out over this group this morning and I would suggest to you that some of us may be living on borrowed time. People say to me all the time, I don't I don't intend to go to hell. I don't intend to spend eternity in hell. But for every day that you wait to be saved, you're being foolish. Just like the foolish virgins. They had every intention. They had every intention of entering into the marriage chamber. But they were too late. They were too late. So if you're not saved, I plead with you. I beg you, don't put off repentance until the moment Jesus calls for you. Listen, he's pro- he may, I, I'm beginning to think we're getting closer even than I thought to the rapture of the church, but don't count on that. Don't count on that being the way that you go. Uh, he still calls many of us through the valley of the shadow of death. And if that's the way you go, you might be too sick to pray. You might be in too much pain to pray. You may not have the time that you think you're going to have for that last minute preparation. There is only one case that I can find. There's only one case in the Bible of what we would consider to be deathbed confession. That's the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is the only one. So don't count on the fact that, well, when, when the doctor tells me I've only got six weeks to live, then I'll, I'll get ready. Bible is very clear. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Accept him now and be ready when the bridegroom calls. One more thing I want to say, and this is to save folks. The wise virgins entered into the marriage chamber when the bridegroom came. That's true. Write this verse down, Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs eleven thirty. Here's what the Bible says. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then it adds this. He who winneth souls is wise. He who winneth souls is wise. If those wise virgins, let me just use my sanctified imagination for just a minute. If those wise virgins had not fallen asleep, the Bible says all 10 of them drifted off. Remember? they dozed off. If they had not been sleeping, they would have been wide awake. They would have been attentive. They would have been looking for the bridegroom. And what else would they have seen? They would have seen that the five foolish virgins were running out of oil. They would have been aware of that had they paid attention. And if the wise virgins had warned the foolish virgins in time, maybe they could have gone and gotten more oil and got back and all 10 of them could have gone into the marriage supper uh, with the groom. In other words, if each one of those five wise virgins had just one convert, if each one of them had just one convert, From the group of foolish virgins, all of them would have been saved. Just think what would happen. Just think what would happen at Valley Grove Baptist Church if each one of us who claims to be born again determined in our heart this morning that over the next 12 months we're going to win one soul to Jesus. What would happen if we began that process this morning, if every one of us in this room, there's a hundred of us in here approximately, if every one of us said, we're going to win one person for Jesus Christ this year, we'd double this congregation size, right? I believe that if we'd all make that kind of commitment that we'd win the whole world to Jesus Christ, Because if we were truly doing what we're supposed to be doing as believers in Jesus, we're the wise ones, supposedly. We're the ones who are supposed to be getting people ready. But most church members, yes, even born-again Christians, are too apathetic, too interested in other things, too concerned about getting their needs met, having things done their way than to give the necessary time and effort to share in the gospel with somebody else. You know what I believe? I believe the devil hates the doctrine of the second coming. Because he knows if there is any message on the earth that ought to stir the hearts of unbelievers, it would be the message that Jesus is coming and you need to get ready. That he could come at any moment. But unbelievers look at those of us who claim to be believers and they say, you don't seem to be concerned about it. It's not bothering you very much. It's not. You don't look like you're any different. You're not doing anything any different than what I'm doing. If we would just live the kind of life that is required to influence others and if we would go about winning souls, I believe that lost people are willing to accept the fact that Jesus is coming again and that they would get saved. I believe we could see, not just in this church, but in churches all over the world, if Christian people would begin to win souls for Jesus. I really believe we would begin to see a great move of God in our world. Look at verse 13. Matthew 25, 13, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, In which the son of man is coming I don't know when he's coming I do know it pays to be ready Not long ago there was a misprint A small time newspaper out in the Midwest Under the weather forecast It said There is a 90% chance of tomorrow I personally hope chances of tomorrow are better than 90% But I don't know that who, don't, who knows? Let's not be foolish. Let's not be foolish. Let's be prepared.